Let's jump into the lesson. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. It came from within. Today is the last monster in the series. And maybe it's the most deadly. And I'm not sure if I got to preach today because uh, I've got the most anger issues. But, uh, but uh, we kind of talked about that's, uh, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Slaying the beast of anger. is what we're talking about today. If you're visiting with us today, welcome. It's great to have you with us. We've been doing a series that basically talks about how we live in a society and we live in a culture that teaches behavior modification. It teaches you how to live amongst each other and be nice on the outside. It teaches you how to dress up and come to church and look like you got it all together on the outside. But what's really going on on the inside is what God cares about. And it's probably the most neglected area of our life if you think about it. Just think about how much time, sisters, you spend shopping. And I'm going to call a couple of brothers out here because I know some of you like it too. Um, and, 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 you know, being, being that last preaching sermon, you know, you just get to say anything you want because they can't really get rid of you now. Uh, But just think about how much time every day we spend getting ready to show people the outside. You know, some of you, your car is a disaster. It's a wreck. But some of you, you spend hours cleaning that thing with a diaper and, you know, waxing it and vacuuming that thing. Because it's about what, what it looks like on the outside. But my question to you today is how much time do you spend working on your heart? And as Peter has talked about, and as Chris has talked about, this is what the wisest men in the Bible shared about. Jesus talked about, it's about what comes from inside of a man that makes him unclean. Solomon said, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In other words, everything in your life, it emanates from the inside. It emanates from your heart. And and I was, you know, I I was sharing earlier with a, a group of people how grateful I was for Chris's lesson last week. It was really good. Uh, and what made it really good is because I left feeling like really bad. You know, I mean, I was like, oh, man, I mean, I'm a hoarder. Look out. You know, they're going to do some reality show on my life and they're going to come through and look at all my stuff. And but what's been really good for me has been giving stuff away this week. And, and it's funny this morning I found a strap. It was a leather strap and it goes to a piece of luggage. And I've never, I've used this luggage a lot. I've never used the strap. The strap was kind of like, you know, it was, it was kind of like, why did they put this here? You know, it's not really helping me. I don't really, this bag's big. I'm not going to sling it over my shoulder. So as soon as we bought the luggage, I took the strap off. And that strap has been plaguing me for years. It sits around my house. I move it around. And, and I keep thinking, I can't get rid of it because I might need it someday. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, like. And so this morning, I'm looking at this strap, and the luggage is beat up. It's ugly. It's bruised. But the strap is perfect, man. I mean, it's like, it's looking awesome. I'm like, I just need to throw this strap away today. And I walked out, and I said, Stacy, what should I do with this? I'm thinking about throwing away this strap. And she's like, yeah, go for it. I thought she might fight me on it, you know, like, I'm going to hold on. And this strap is representative of my heart. It's like, no, I can't give up the strap. And I went, and I just went. I put it in the trash today and it's gone. I'm free. I'm free. And that's how I felt. Chris, thank you so much, bro. I'm just allowing me to free up my heart from 
understanding what greed is. And I mean, I, I was like, wow, I'm, I'm greedy. I mean, I've got that in my heart. What's interesting, though, is that, and you're going to see this in the scriptures today, all of us have issues with anger. And this is maybe the biggest and deadliest of all the sins we've talked about in this series. You go, yeah, 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 you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a teenager, I'm happy. Trust me, you got issues. You got problems you don't even know about yet, and they're about to come out. You're about to look like this guy right here. And, and all of a sudden, you know, oh, I'm not an angry person. That's not me. You know, I'm not like that. How many of us remember this guy? Yeah. Going old school. I grew up with this guy. And, you know, as a kid, the Hulk, he was like scary, very scary. You know, they put the contact lenses in. That was like technology back in the day. You know, I mean, he's got these eyes and then he starts ripping his clothes off and then he's the Hulk. But what was cool about the Hulk was the Hulk did kind of good things. He got the bad guy. And so it kind of depicts anger as this good thing. You get angry, you get results. You know what I'm saying? No one's going to pick on you anymore. You turn into Lou Ferrigno with green body paint and everyone has to back off. But the truth is. Anger has a role, but when you turn into that guy, it ain't good for anybody. And a lot of you, you got that going on in your heart. You got a little green Lou Ferrigno in your heart right now, and he's just tearing stuff up. He's ripping stuff up. He's ruining your life, and you have no idea that that's the case. Who is an angry person? My boss is angry. Alec Baldwin is an angry person. I'm not an angry person. Indomica Sue, he's got issues. Stomping on guys. My mom's angry. She's always mad at me. She's always saying stuff about me. I'm not an angry person, but my mom. That tailgater, man, get off my back. I'm going to get one of those mean bumper stickers, you know, or something like that. Who's an angry person? My coach is angry. You know, when I ask the question, who's an angry person, my guess is very few of you, maybe 3%, put your name up there. Because when I ask who is an angry person, you think of somebody else that has more anger issues, that has some kind of obvious problems because they're coming out all over the place. But very few of us think of me. Not me, Josh, you, you. Maybe you think I'm an angry person too, and you might be right. But who is an angry person? This is something that we can all struggle with and we all need to be aware of. Anger hides inside. It creeps around and it lurks. And some of you are stuffers. And when anger happens, you stuff it. And a month later, you stuff it some more. And then you, became, you, you become like a volcano. At some point, at some time, you blow. You turn into the Hulk. Anger can do that. And anger is destructive. And if you don't care about your anger, you're not that bothered by it, trust me, other people are. Other people want you to hear this lesson today. The people who live with you, I promise you, no matter who you are, want you to hear this lesson 
today. And you can look at each other. Go ahead, husbands and wives. Because you're both thinking, yeah, you need this, but you both need it. You know what I mean? I mean, go ahead and look at each other all you want because everybody needs to hear this lesson about anger. You know, when I was in college, uh, we used to take road trips a lot. And I went uh, from San Luis Obispo. I was going to Cal Poly at the time. I went on a road trip to uh, a cabin up at Shaver Lake, which is outside of Fresno, up in the mountains. And we would do this periodically, our campus ministry. Uh, one of the guys in the campus ministry, his parents had this enormous cabin. And we were always like, when are we going to Shaver? When are we going to Shaver? So all the, all, a bunch of group of students went up to Shaver, but I couldn't go because I had to work. So I had to wait until I got off work that night to go to Shaver. And there's a few other students that had to wait. So we all just decided to pile into one of those girls' cars. It was like a Mazda sports car, low to the ground. And they're like, who's going to drive? I'm like, I'll drive. I'll drive through the middle of the night. We left at midnight to go to Shaver Lake. Well, as we got into Central Valley of California, some of you know this because you've been in the Central Valley, it was probably one of the worst cases of Thule fog I've ever been driven in. And Thule fog is this fog. It is thick, thick fog. And that I think they said on the news, if I remember correctly, visibility was 10 feet. And so if you think about driving, you know, that's like <laughs> not far beyond your own car. And so I was driving 30 miles an hour on this four-lane highway, and the only people on the road at 2 in the morning are 18-wheel semi-trucks. And you cannot see anything, and I'm not kidding. I mean, I was literally driving on the paint, because I could see the paint next to my car with the bumps on it. And so we were driving by Braille that night. I mean, we were just driving, and we were hitting the bumps and making sure we were okay. That meant bumps were good because we were still on the road. And, and we finally were getting into Fresno, and it's dark, and I was like slow driving, like intense driving, totally focused on not dying that night, and we needed gas. And I knew a place where there was gas, and so as things started to light up a little more, I could see in the distance there was an AMPM or something like that. And because the neon signs would kind of bleed through the fog, but it still couldn't tell exactly where. And so I saw the road kind of open up so that I could turn into the gas station. And as I pulled into that area, it actually was not the turn lane. There was an island that was in front of it that created a turn lane. And by the time I saw the island, it was too late. I mean, I slammed on the brakes, spun the wheels, hit the curb, launched airborne over into oncoming traffic in the fog that we couldn't see in, bottomed out the car, spun around twice. Hit the other side. Everyone's like, is everyone okay? Everyone's okay. Okay, good. Okay, we are in oncoming traffic right now. we got to get out of here. Like, so I turn on the car. The car starts. Peel out into the gas station. And check. Everyone, is everyone okay? Yeah, everyone's okay. Okay. Um, everything seems fine. Everyone's okay. Is the car okay? Well, let's turn it on again. We turn it on. We start driving. And sure enough, you start to hear the hissing. Click, 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 click. Something's not right. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Now, this wasn't even, this wasn't only this girl's car, but her dad would use the car uh, to go to work. And I'm thinking in my mind, this isn't good. Like, something's obviously wrong. The car's still driving. That's good. But there's sounds coming from the car that should not be coming from the car. That's not good. And so we kept driving. We got gas in the car. We were like, okay, let's drive slow. Let's see. And the, the car worked. 
This is good. Maybe, maybe the hissing will go away. Maybe the clicking will stop. Maybe by some act of God, everything will be okay. And I can return the car to this girl's father and I won't have to say a thing about it. So I returned the car and I didn't say anything about it. And he went out. As I was leaving, turned the car on. And you could hear the noise. Well, you can imagine what happened next. Well, actually, that's not what happened. I kinda, I'm kind of like, I thought about doing that. But I thought, there's no way I could get away with it. And so you know what I did? We went back, drove the car all the way home. Still drove. Didn't sound good, but it still drove. Gave the car back, told him what happened. He took it in, $3,000 of, of damage under the car. Had to get it fixed. Now, I didn't have $3,000. Someone paid for it. wasn't me. All right, so what's the lesson? <laughs> Don't drive in the Thule fog is one lesson. That's, that's for sure. A lot of us, we understand the idea that if I hit something in the road and my car still runs, but there's something wrong with the car, I've got to fix the car. I can't see it. It's underneath the car. Hopefully, it'll kind of just go away. But that's not how life works. When it comes to your heart, many of us today, we fix our car in a heartbeat. But we don't spend the time it takes to dig in. We, to, to, to really invest in uprooting and digging out the issues inside of us. And we might know something's not right inside. But hey, I can still drive this thing. This thing still works. I can get around and not deal with my heart. And so many of you are like that today. Something's wrong. Something's not right. You come into a room and it doesn't sound right what comes out of your mouth. It doesn't look right what you do, but you're still functioning. But are we really dealing with our hearts? Anger hides inside you. It's in there. The question is, what do you do with it? Let's look in Ephesians chapter 4 for a minute here. Uh, first of all, before we do that, though, uh, I, I just want to do a little disclaimer for you. Some of you say, well, I'm not an angry person. I just get frustrated sometimes. <laughs> I'm not an angry person. i just annoyed with you. I'm not an angry person. I'm just frustrated with the situation. I'm not an angry person. I'm just irritated at that girl. I'm not an angry person. I just feel resentful toward him. See those underlying words right there? Guess what the dictionary definition is? Angry. You're an angry person. I'm sorry. It's just true. You go, yeah, I say it all the time. I'm frustrated. You're an angry person. I'm annoyed. You're an angry person. We all qualify. And so what we hope to do today, men and women, is not just behavior modification, not just smile and nod and act like everything's okay when it really genuinely isn't. How do we deal with anger that goes on in our hearts? You guys with me here today? Are you willing to endeavor in that with me today so that we don't end up being like the Hulk, so we don't end up like that guy? We don't want to do that. Understanding anger. Here's the interesting thing the Scripture is going to tell us. 
Anger has a role. This is really important for you to understand. You go, well, I should just never get angry. Probably not likely. Anger has a role in your life. It's there for a reason. And that's an important thing to understand. Anger is meant to serve you. What? Anger is meant to serve me. How is anger supposed to serve me? Well, let me ask you this question. When do you get angry? Anyone want to get open here today and just talk about all your anger issues? Chris Boyer, when do you get angry? When someone snakes your wave? When you're short on time and your kids are difficult? That is a very nice answer. Very good. I believe you. I also believe that if I snaked your wave, you'd be mad at me. Okay, thank you. All right. There's a, there's a surf etiquette that we all need to know. Yes. When your feelings get hurt, right? That's a natural time to get angry. Things don't go your way. All right, I heard someone say that. Yeah. When things become personal. Ooh, I'm going to talk about that with me later. Yes. When there's injustice. Okay, so these are times when anger comes into your life, possibly. Maybe you're like some of these people. Maybe you have your own. And so anger's there to serve you. It's there to tell you something. Like when you get home from the TV and you look, turn on the TV and you see that someone died because of a drunk driver. How do you feel? Angry. Why are you angry? There's an injustice. Anger's telling you something. Anger's saying that's not right. Here's the problem. Anger is meant to serve you. But your emotions can master you. And if, the, if you haven't heard it yet in this series, then you're going to probably hear it later on in life anyway. Emotions are a terrible master, but a great servant. Your emotions are there for a purpose. They're meant to serve you. But too, for too many of us, anger masters us. It's our master. And it is a mean, brutal master. But here's the good news today. You can get rid of your anger. And this is what we're going to see in the scriptures. The scriptures give life. The scriptures give hope. Even if you're an angry person, or if you didn't think you were an angry person, and now I've convinced you you are, maybe you don't like that, but now I'm here to give you hope. You can get rid of that anger. And that's the good news of the scriptures. So let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. The Bible says, In your anger, wait a minute, what does it say? The Bible assumes you're angry. Don't you like that? I mean, in another version of the Bible, it says, be angry. It's almost like giving a license for anger. And if you just stopped right there, you would be a very angry person because God told you to be one. But no, 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 that's not what he's saying here. In your anger, what? Do not sin. Oh, wait a minute. When are you most likely to sin? When you're angry. When are you most likely to yell at your wife? When she just made you dinner. Wrong. No, <laughs> when you're angry. And here's the interesting thing about this scripture. You know, in your anger, do not sin. He goes on, he says, don't let the sun go down. On your anger. What is God trying to communicate to us this morning? 
Not, not that you shouldn't get angry at times when it's appropriate. That, that's, not the, that's not the deal. He's saying, you need to, if you get angry, you need to get angry and then deal with your anger. Anger's telling you something. Do something about it. Do something about it. Resolve it. And if, if you're married in here today, you've probably had this experience, like Stacy and I, you know. When we first got married, you, you have these arguments. They go maybe late into the night, and you know this scripture. You can't go to bed angry, right? And so you're up to like sometimes two in the morning. How many of you have ever done that? Paul Navarro, thank you, bro. Yes. You can't even see straight. You can't even remember why you were angry. You're trying to resolve it. Okay, like, are we resolved? No, I'm still angry. Okay, I can't, you know. You think I'm angry now. Wait till I wake up in the morning, you know. It ain't going to be good. But we took that scripture literally seriously in a good way, trying to resolve today's anger today and trying to make sure we don't take today's anger into tomorrow. And here's the thing that I want you to hear today. Many of us, we take tomorrow's anger and we've got it still today or yesterday. And and then tomorrow we're going to have it still. And then next week you're going to take anger from this week. And then next month you're going to have anger from this month. And then next year and then next dating relationship, you still got that anger. And when your next child is born, you still got that anger. In the next season of your life, you still got anger. And you're carrying this load. It's like Atlas with the, the, just full of anger. And you've got this look. Your nose is crinkled and you're walking around and people go, well, I don't want to be around that person. But then society dictates that they have to be around you at your job. Or, or, or they're married to you, so they have to see you every night at home. And, and you walk in a room, and I walk in a room, and something sets us off. And, and, and maybe you, you can relate. Like, you're going to go home for the holidays. Some of you are going to go home. And you're a great person here at church. And you love your job. But, man, when you go home for the holidays, something happens. It's, it's, it's Lou Ferrigno, man. You walk in the door. It's like, what happened to you? I mean, that anger has been in that house unresolved for you for 10 years. And you, and you know this is true for some of you. You walk in an environment and you feel it. What is God trying to tell us with a scripture like this? If you get angry, deal with your anger. If there's an injustice, deal with the injustice. If someone offends you at church, go talk to them about it. Don't, don't let that come back next week. And then you see them and it's awkward and you don't really want to talk to them. Just deal with it. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. And then look at the, here's where, here's where the theology is inserted. Okay? Why don't we do this? Why is this bad? And do not give the devil a foothold. When you don't resolve anger... When anger begins to master you, it is like you say, Satan, come on into my heart and live for a while. Just do whatever you please. 
Take some time in there. Rearrange the place as to your liking. And, and, and what's sad about it is it begins to affect the many relationships around us. Now, I am a classic road rager. I'm here to confess to you today. And what I have to do, because when I get cut off on the road, I take it as a deep personal insult. Am I right, honey? Am I getting this about right? Because if I'm not, you come up here and you just, you know, tell them how it really is. I mean, it is like bad. Did you just, what the, they just did what? Don't you know the rules of the road? Should take that person's license away, man. What are they doing? That person doesn't know me. I mean, they may be arrogant even on the road, but they're not like personally doing something to me. They don't even know me. But I promise you, that's how I react. It's ugly. It comes out. And the only way I'm able to deal with it is to pray. And when I pray, I say something really spiritual like... God, you say you're going to pay that person back. I want to be there when you do it. I just want to be on the sidelines watching. You know what I mean, God? I don't have to do anything, God. You say you're just. Can't wait to see what you do to that person. Amen. Okay. Let it go. Now, the problem is this. If I don't work through it in prayer, I go home. And I walk in the room. And guess who gets to be around me? Guess who gets to be around Josh? My family, who I love. Who I have no bone to pick with in that moment. But angry Josh walks in, and it's like, terrible. So I end up hurting people around me. They're just innocent bystanders because I'm angry. And no matter what your theology says, whether or not you even believe there is a devil, you know this. Anger is a problem. It brings out bad things in people when it's not held in check or not dealt with correctly. And the Bible says, here's how to deal with it. Interestingly, Paul is quoting Psalm 4. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your heart and be silent. I love this scripture. Search your heart. What's going on in there anyway? And something's not right. I don't feel good. How many times do you just lay awake at night? You can't sleep. Your mind's racing. You got emotions. You're having like conversations in your head with people you're mad at. It's a sign of intelligence. Trust me, I do it too. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, ah, ah, and you're getting the best of them in that conversation too, man. I mean, you're letting them have it. You know, the Bible says, look, lay down, chill out. The Bible says, count to 10 and just be silent. Man, we don't like that when we're angry. But this is how the Bible says we need to deal with the issues that go on inside us. You guys with me here? Now, what does anger say? We've talked about this a little bit. 
how these different, you know, jealousy says this, and anger says you owe me something. You owe me. That's why I'm mad. You owe me. I'm mad at my parents because they got divorced and I didn't get a childhood like I should have. Or my dad wasn't at my wedding. Or that person took something from me. That, that, that person stole an idea I had at work and I don't get the intellectual property that goes along with that. Anger says, you owe me something. And you're going to pay it back. And I want it to be paid in full. And so you have this open account, kind of just open with people. You're saying, you owe me this, and you owe me that, and you were late last week, you owe me 10 minutes, and you owe me this. And and, and here's the sad thing about anger. See, when, when you have that attitude towards people, the question is, can you ever really be repaid? Can you ever get those memories back? Can you ever really have the experiences that you felt, feel like you were uh, neglected upon? And so, interestingly, if you look at uh, verse 31 here, what is God's solution then to anger? Now, if you were God and you loved you like he did and you knew that this was an issue, what would you say to you? Get rid of all bitterness Rage and anger. What is the Bible solution to anger? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Like that strap this morning? Get rid of it. Be done with it. Move beyond it. You go, yeah, 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 but but this person did this to me and that's not fair. That's what I do. But it's not fair. They might do it to me again. That's not fair. That's not right. Let me ask you something. If you were, went into the doctor today and you found out, and, and some of us have done in, in our congregation have, have had this happen recently, you found out you had cancer. After you got all the details, what would your first question be? How did I get it, or how can I get rid of it? You know, for many of us, when we talk about anger, we talk about how we were hurt. We want to talk about, instead of talking about how to get rid of it, which is what the Bible says we need to do, we want to talk about all the ways that we got it. We want to justify our anger. We want to defend our anger. We want to justify our greed. We want to justify our envy. We want to say, well, I was mistreated and I was hurt. And and, and those things all may be even true. But what the Bible is interested in is how do I get rid of it? How do I deal with it? How do I get it out? How can I be done? With anger. Anger says... You owe me. You know, sometimes you've you've probably experienced this as I have. Someone comes into a conversation with you and all of a sudden they get angry. And you're like, did I say something wrong? Did I do something like, you just asked me a question I answered it. Man, I mean, what's the deal? Anyone ever experienced that? Don't, don't we reason in our minds at that time, you know, that person came in angry. I don't think I did anything wrong. They're carrying anger with them. And here's the thing about this idea of there being an open account. There's nothing you can say or do with that person. If you aren't the cause, if you aren't the original source of that anger, there's nothing you can do or say to resolve that situation for them. Because their issue isn't even with you to begin with. 
And for some of us, we have to look at ourselves today and say, where do I have anger in my heart? With whom do I have anger with in, in my heart? Over what? And we're going to talk about those things here uh, in a minute. But this is the Bible solution. Get rid of it. Just be done with it. Put it in the past. Anger management. You know, the only thing that concerns me about anger management is the idea that you can manage your anger. The Bible doesn't say manage it. The Bible says you get angry. Don't let the sun go down. You deal with it. You get rid of it. Get angry and you deal with it. Get angry and you deal with it. And the truth is, no matter how hard you try, no matter what you're angry about, most often you will not be paid back in a fair amount the way you feel like you're going to be owed for what you're angry over. And what, when, you, when you ask the question, how do I get rid of it? It bypasses the whole issue of fairness. It doesn't have to be fair anymore. It doesn't have to be about what I'm owed. It becomes about God. It becomes about cleaning our hearts out and being able to be men and women that God wants us to be. If there's one thing that you can take away from the lesson of today, this is it. Forgiveness cancels anger. It cleans, it rakes the heart, it, 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 it exposes it, it gets rid of all of these lingering issues. And I want to challenge you today, if you will be as so bold as to take this challenge, if you aren't already angry with me, um, I want to challenge you today to take some time today. Because this is what helped me so much with Chris's lesson, is I went home that day and I started looking around my house. That day. I didn't wait, and I know what's going to happen. By Wednesday, this lesson is going to be gone, and another one's going to be inserted. And, and this, this issue of anger is too big, it's too massive, it's too prevalent in our world, and it's too prevalent in our fellowship to not be taken seriously today. But here's the problem you're going to have with this. I, I can't just go to Anush and say, hey, Anush, am I an angry guy? Because Anush doesn't know me well enough to answer that honestly, or at least accurately. He'll answer honestly, but he may not know me well enough to answer accurately. You're going to have to ask this question of a family member or a best friend in the church. Where do you see anger in my life? Where do you see it? And I just say this today, if, if you don't want to deal with that or if you're not ready to ask that question, don't ask it. Because you know what's going to happen when they answer you? <laughs> you know? Don't do it. But I want to challenge you to get your heart to a place where you can do it and you can do it today. Because you will feel differently as a result of this lesson. Just like I felt differently as a result of last week's lesson, which I really appreciated. Proverbs 19, verse 3. I want to hit this one issue before I finish. Some of us are really, this morning, we're not angry at anyone else. We're angry at God. And what anger says to God is, you owe me. And the Bible says a man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Why would we get angry with God? Well, the reality is that many of us feel like we've been shortchanged by God. 
God hasn't done enough for us. We had a harder situation in life than the neighbor next to us. Why didn't I get this? Why didn't I get that? God, why aren't you working in my life? God, why haven't I gotten a job yet? God, why aren't my kids healthy? God, why am I not more handsome or tall or pretty or short or whatever? Fill in the blank. What's up with you, God? I mean, you're omnipotent, right? And you're supposed to have all that power and you can just wave your hand and everything would be fine. And please hear me on this when I say that I think that this is a bigger issue in our church than you realize. Many of us, our heart is raging right now against God because our lives haven't worked out the way we wanted it to. But as I've preached many times before, and I probably will again, God is more concerned about your eternal destination than your current happiness. And you've got to be willing to take some time in prayer. You know, David is the most interesting case study to me of this issue of anger towards God. Because if you read the Psalms, David prays things that are absolutely, I mean, it's heresy. It's, it's theologically completely inappropriate. Where are you, God? God, what's your problem? God, I'm ticked off of you right now. God, what's going on? I mean, that's David's prayers and Psalms. Read them. And you know what? You feel that way a lot. And the problem is you're not praying those prayers. Because what happens is that when Saul's enemies do show up, the enemies that he prayed God would kill them and wipe their face from the earth and all that kind of stuff, when, when, when that prayer happened, the anger got resolved in David's heart. He got in touch again with the fact that God is in control. He believed that God would deal with the road rage, and he let it go. And then when Saul was given over to him, He could have taken his life like that. Even his friends were saying, God's delivered him into your hands. Just murder the king. You'll be king. What did David say? I can't do that. But what did he pray? Take him out. See, what he prayed resolved the anger, resolved the conflict in his heart. He prayed honest prayers. He prayed brutal prayers. He prayed prayers that many of us look at and we go, man, that guy's messed up. You and I are messed up too. We're no better. Our prayers need to be just as ugly and emotional and angry so that your faith can grow through prayer, so that you can trust God, so that you can act differently in life. A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Let's be men and women who are honest in church. When you get mad at God, just be honest about it. Man, I'm really ticked off at God right now. And we can pray together and work through these things together so that God can be glorified in our lives. Three practicals, and we'll close out here, that can help us to break the chains of anger and unhealthy response to anger that we struggle with. First and foremost, identify who you're angry with. Or maybe it would be more proper English to say, with whom you are angry. Identify who. I'll say it again, guys. If you have carried anger from season to season in your life, in other words, if you've taken anger from being a college student to being married, and you haven't dealt with anger before the sun goes down, you're going to have to invest some time. And you're going to have to dig down deep in your heart to dislodge and unroot the anger. 
that exists in your heart. If you've let it reside there for years, it might take some time to get rid of it. Are you willing to do the hard work? It begins with this. Who am I angry with? And stop looking around the room. Oh, I'm angry with her and him and him. You know what I mean? It's like you got to take some time and you got to figure it out. And it may be some people in the room. we got to resolve that today. Amen? Today. Secondly, and this is maybe even where we get more in-depth, identify who you're angry with and then identify the what, what I call the what. Identify what was taken from you. What is it that you feel like was taken away? Is it childhood memories? Is it your pay? Is it your marriage? What is it that is the debt that you feel like you are owed? And this is really, really important part of this process because a debt that, you know, if, if you're not able to identify debt, like Jesus said this, he said as he sat down with Peter, he said, hey, two men owed me money or owed him a, a, a lender money. If he cancels the debt of both, who's going to be more grateful? Well, what's Peter's response? I guess the one that owes him more money. You have to understand the debt that's being forgiven to really forgive it. It's not a meaningful, forgiveness is not meaningful unless you understand what is being forgiven. And so taking the time, not just to understand who, but understand what it is, is really, really important in this process. Finally, third step, real easy. Maybe easier said than done, forgive. Cancel the debt. Last week, Chris said, write the check. It's echoing in my ears even still today. I remember it. This week I'm saying cancel the debt. Get rid of anger. Get rid of slander. And, you know, here's the amazing thing is that what we do and what we're really good at is if we don't start to work on our hearts, and maybe you've experienced this through this series, you're like, hey, I got anger issues. I got jealousy issues. I got greed issues. I've got guilt issues. What do you do when you throw all those things together and start stirring it up? It's like some, you know, mad scientist in a lab working on your heart and just making it a mess. Where do you think bitterness comes from? It's a combination of these undealt with heart issues stirring around in your heart. Cause trouble and defile many, the Bible says. Just forgive. Just cancel the debt. You might have to write all these things down and then go out and have a ceremony. Burn it. It's all over. Bury it in your backyard with a cross to continually be reminded of the decision that you've made. Forgiveness can be a tricky thing because I can have a pretty good, easy time forgiving today. I wake up tomorrow and it's a problem in my heart all over again. And you go, wait a minute, what happened? I thought I forgave that. I thought I'd pass out. You know what? Sometimes forgiveness is a daily decision. And you have to decide all over again to be willing to forgive. But once you've done this, once you've done these three things, what do you do next? You stay in the habit of continually cleaning out your heart. You stay in the habit of not letting the sun go down on your anger. You work on it. And it's hard work and it's noble work. And you make a decision. As God has forgiven me, so I will forgive other people. And it begins to break 
the roots and the chains of the anger that can hold you down. When you start to do this, here's what's awesome. You walk into church and you see that person, you feel differently towards them. You come home for the holidays, your blood doesn't boil as much. Hallelujah, praise Jesus, you know, sign me up. I mean, but you got to do the work. You got to make the investment. But it can be different. It can be different in your life. Anger doesn't have to hold you down. If you struggle with anything that I've talked about today, if anything connects with you, my question is this. How long will you go carrying anger with you? How long will you walk around it being a burden around your neck? And you'll go through it in this process. You'll feel the old emotions. You'll feel the betrayals. You'll feel the, the, the sadness of the parents' divorce. You'll feel the difficulty of the circumstances that didn't work out. That's okay. Because when you cancel the debt, you close the books. They don't owe me anymore. I'm going to move on. And I'm going to forgive the way God's forgiven me. That's what's so powerful about the cross is that Jesus died for you when you didn't care how much you were hurting God. Jesus died for you when you were doing the worst things to offend God with no remorse. He forgave. That's God's heart towards us. When your heart is clean, forgiveness cancels the debt. You feel like a new person. And so my encouragement to you, Lighthouse Church, the thing I can leave you with as we go to Albuquerque, Continually clean your heart. Continually slay the beast that is anger. Don't look like this guy when you walk into church on Sunday mornings. Don't look like this guy when you come home for the holidays. Don't look like this guy when you come home from school, college students and teens. Don't look like this guy when you come in from your job. Slay the beast. Take him down. You can do this. God has given us great hope through his word. Uh, Lastly, I'll just say um, thank you so much for the last decade of our lives. What a special ride it's been. We love you very, very much, and we'll be seeing you guys in New Mexico. Amen.